0: Would you pray with me? Almighty God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and redeemer. Amen. Being shaped by God. There's many stories today about bad things happening throughout the world. We see them in news reports, on Facebook posts, YouTube videos, TikTok posts, nearly everywhere you look. Now, uncritical acceptance of these reports might make it seem like the world is going to end any day. The economy is failing. Global warming is increasing. There's violence in many parts of the, war. In the world, an all-out war in places like Ukraine and Yemen. And there's always some new strain of COVID that's popping up somewhere. A more critical approach may dampen the stress level a little when you consider that mitigating factors like the tendency for news outlets to (laughs) dramatically present their stories so that they'll draw larger audiences, or how political opponents tend to push for exaggerated claims so their opponents will look bad in the upcoming elections. And there are people on the ground who are trying to take positive steps. To provide relief from the challenges of COVID and international violence and economic insecurity. But even when we consider these other factors, the state of the world is looking not so good on many fronts. Some wonder, where is God in all this mess? Did God inflict the turmoil that we're experiencing as punishment? Is God watching the suffering taking place, yet failing to intervene because of the sins of humanity? And why does God let bad things happen to good people? These are difficult questions that are impossible, really, to identify or to definitively answer. By that I mean that there is no way to give irrefutable evidence one way or the other to each of these questions, since they all depend on your understanding of and faith in God. One way of approaching these issues is to consider them through the lens of the Wesleyan quadrilateral, using scripture, tradition, reason, and experience. Our scripture passage today provides one source of text which can start we can start with in this morning. The passage comes from the writings of the prophet Jeremiah, a prophet who witnessed a great deal of tragedy in his lifetime. He's thought to have been born around the year of 627 B.C.E., around the time of King Josiah of Judah. And King Josiah was a reformer who wanted to bring Israel back to the old ways of worshipping God, which several of his predecessors had ignored. The king destroyed the idols and worshipping sites of other gods, and decided to renovate the temple in Jerusalem. Now during that renovation, the Book of the Law, or the Torah, was rediscovered, and he gathered everyone in and around Jerusalem so that it could be read to them, so they could hear it for the first time in generations. There was an interesting, renewed interest in being faithful to Yahweh, the God of the Israelites. But shortly after he rekindled his devotion to the Torah, the king died in battle. And things went from bad to worse. His son, Jehoahaz, became king, but he was deposed by a more powerful Egyptian king who installed a different son who didn't follow the traditional ways of worshiping God. And after a few years, this son, who the Egyptian king had renamed Jehoiakim, he died, and his son became king at the age of the rifled age of eight. The new young king reigned for just three months before he was captured by the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar and sent him by force to Babylon, along with many of the valuables which Nebuchadnezzar had looted from the Jewish temple. Then following the following king of Judah, Zedekiah, was also considered to be rebellious to God, and he reigned 11 years before Jerusalem was eventually attacked again and utterly destroyed. The temple was burned to the ground, and most of the people were forced into exile, living in Babylon. These were very, very difficult times for the people of Judah, and the prophet Jeremiah was present for all of them. Today's passage is thought to come from the period soon after King Josiah's death, when the Reformation that he had started began to lose steam. Jeremiah received a message from God to go to the potter's house. Maybe you've had a similar experience sometime, where you suddenly get an idea or a thought. You're not quite sure where the idea came from, but it seems right and important to do. But Jeremiah, following God's instructions, found the potter working on a vessel. But something went wrong, and the potter decided to scrap his project and start over. He collapsed the vessel, but he didn't throw away the clay. He reused what he had been working with. But this time he has some experience uh, or history with the clay. He can recall when went wrong and shape the vessel a little bit differently, so the next version will more likely be able to fulfill the purpose that he had intended for it. Of course, in the next section of the passage, beginning in verse 5, the Lord explains that, God is the potter, and the people are the clay. Unlike our usual assumption where the clay represents us as individuals, I wanted to point out that in this passage, it explicitly states that the clay represents the community, the people, the people of Israel. And just as the potter constantly critiques and manipulates the molded clay, God is constantly at work assessing and shaping the people. If the clay begins to take a shape that makes it unable to serve the purposes intended by the potter, the potter reshapes the clay. But notice that the clay is not thrown away, it's reshaped. This is the image given to Jeremiah to help explain what was happening to the Jews in his community at that time. Jeremiah was given a metaphor that provided a rationale for the terrible things that were happening, as well as a sense of hope that life could get better. Since there is a constant dynamic, for both the work of the potter and the clay are changing, there is hope that the, the plans that God has for the chosen people would change for the better one day. There's no metaphor that can completely contain the full nature of God, but this one gives us some important clues. For one, we can discern that God is deeply invested in the children of God. In Jeremiah's day, he would have probably assumed that God's preference was reserved for only the Israelites. But Jesus gave us the teaching that all humanity is gifted with the image of God. So God is deeply invested in every one of us, as individuals and in community. God doesn't throw away people, but constantly works with them, so that they can become a part of God's plan. Another important aspect of God's nature present in this passage is the consideration given to human will. Verses 7 through 10 speak of God's plans changing based on what people do. Communities destined for greatness may find tragedy in their midst if they turn to evil ways. And conversely, communities that repent may discover unexpected blessings. God has a plan for all of us, but the plan can change. We weren't destined for tragedy or greatness based on our current circumstances. God has the ability and freedom to change the plan, just as we have the freedom to choose our actions and possibly change our own destiny. In keeping with tradition, I'm not saying that God changes, but I'm saying that the plan changes. Of course, there's many passages throughout the Bible that give us clues to God's nature, and some may seem contradictory. For example, today's passage from Jeremiah suggests that human will is a determining factor in whether one is blessed or cursed. Reason and experience tell us that this is not always the case, since there are bad things that do happen to good people. There are also scripture passages from writings like the Book of Job that teaches that people who experience tragedy are not necessarily being punished. Tragic events can happen through no fault of their own. There's also the letter from the Apostle Paul to the Romans that teaches us in chapter three that we can't earn our way to heaven through works. Yes, our choices and behavior, they affect our relationship with God. But salvation, salvation comes through the grace made possible by the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. Ultimately, it's grace through faith allows us to be more integral to God's plan. And the transformation that happens to us as we grow in faith affects our decisions, our behavior, and even our outlook on life. So that when tragedy does strike, as it does and it will to all of us at some time, the consequence isn't disaster, but resurrection. Jesus cried out to the people in the first century, just as he continues to cry out to us today, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. This isn't so that people can simply change their behavior, but so that we will be transformed in mind, body, and spirit, into vessels that serve the purpose of God. And what is the purpose of God? Do we know what the purpose of God is? The purpose of God is to love. To love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. Upon those two commandments hang all the laws and the prophets, as Jesus told us. But, as we said several times, being with Christ doesn't mean that we won't suffer. To be honest, we still haven't fully answered the question raised about why there is tragedy in the world today. We touched on a few factors, but we haven't fully explained it. And there is God's will, there's human's will, there's the law of nature, and perhaps many other factors. My experience has shown me that there's a balance between these many factors, with different ones taking precedence at different times that ultimately result in the consequences we see. It's kind of like one of the exercises that the youth had at camp. Do you guys remember the youth exercise at camp, where you had the, the platform and then the big log that went underneath it? Yes, you do that. You're good. Yes, the, the, the objective so there was a, a huge platform balanced on a log in the middle. And so the objective was to get all the the kids in a particular group, about 10 kids, onto the platform, one at a time, while keeping the platform balanced. So with each additional person, the task grew much more complicated. And any time there was a movement, from the, even the slightest movement, from someone on the platform, one side of it would certainly swap down, and the other kids would fall off on the other end and thrown up. In the same way, there's many factors that hang in the balance in our lives. We can be affected by someone's personal decision, a natural disaster, a health issue born out of the laws of nature or an intervention by God. With all of these factors and constant motion, it's impossible to calculate with certainty what will happen at any given moment in time. But through the conviction born from faith, we can be certain that our final destination, whatever happens, will be with God. God is the ultimate source and the ultimate destination of all creation. Although we can't understand why everything happens the way it does, Scripture, tradition, reason, and experience lead us to the understanding that we are all loved by God. And God seeks our love as well. Therefore, I encourage you today to become an active part of God's plan. Foster hope and compassion in the world. Purge negativity and animosity from your mindset. And spread God's love wherever you go. When you see tragedy striking someone, reflect God's love to that person and help them cope with the difficulty or the, the problem that they're going through. And when tragedy strikes you, gratefully and graciously receive the love that is offered. Since the love, the lover is as well gifted as the beloved. Regardless of your outcome, Know that God loves you and wants to be in relationship with you. So accept the love of grace, which Christ has opened the doors of salvation to for all of us, and let your life be shaped by God.